0: To invite you to take your Bibles and to turn to the book of Acts, please, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 22, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 22 through to chapter 23, verse 11. Um, as you do that, I want to take a moment, uh, as always, to welcome people who are just watching today or listening, uh, the folks who aren't able to be with us today. We want to welcome you very warmly into our midst. And one important notice from today is that from next Sunday we're going to add an extra service into our uh, schedule in the day we're going to begin having an 11:30 a.m. service from next Sunday onwards so folks who aren't able to be with us today I hope that will help at least some of you be able to be here with us uh, the waiting list has continued these past weeks for both morning and evening so we hope by adding this extra service it will help uh, just a little bit more to take the pressure off the way it will work is that at 9:30 uh, the Sunday school will operate only in that service, uh, and then um, after that, the same service will be repeated all three times. So it's not three different services. It's the same service at 9.30, 11.30, and 5.30. And the creche will be open for all three services. Creche is manned by parents at the minute, uh, and parents are welcome to do that, to take their children uh, down there. So let's read uh, then from Acts chapter 22. And verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Remember verse 21, Paul said, the Lord said to Paul, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And that word Gentiles was lighting the blue touch paper for this crowd. The gospel going to people who they regarded as dogs, unclean outsiders. Up to this word, they listened to him. But then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Paul said, Yes. The tribune answered, I had to buy my citizenship for a large sum. But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. Terrible phrase, isn't it? Examining somebody by flogging. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound Paul and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly became divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Amen. I never question the existence of God, but I always question the existence of Christians. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Those are the words of a famous atheist. I I never questioned the existence of God, but I always questioned the existence of Christians. Somebody who came to faith after many years of atheism. It was the people who said they belonged to God that put me off believing in God. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that or thought it yourself? Believing in God is one thing, but why do his people not help themselves? It's true, isn't it? People all the time around us are attracted to Jesus. There's something compelling about who Jesus is and what he was like and what he said and what he taught and how he lived. But Christians, Christians can be weird. Are there people out there? Are there Christians out there who can really, truly reflect the image of God in their lives so that we make belief in God attractive to those around us? Make belief about God winsome and compelling? Wouldn't you like to be like that? To be that kind of person so that as people come into contact with you and just rub shoulders with you, it just piques their interest. They just want to know More. Tell me why you're like that. And maybe they come to faith. I'd like to be like that. You would like to be like that, I'm sure. Here is Paul today to help you and to help me. This is Paul's second defense of the gospel as he's now heading to Rome. Paul is about to be a pawn in a political chess match. He's passed between people here, isn't he? People who don't really know what to do with him or what to make of him. He's before one crowd and then pulled off before somebody else. And people are constantly asking him, look, why are you here? Why have you got yourself in this mess? He passed between people who don't know what to do with him. Do you ever feel like that? I think Christian people often feel like that. Uh, in society, one of the things we've had to wrestle with as a leadership in our church family is that many of the the COVID-19 regulations for church restarting don't actually help our kind of church. We don't easily fit many of the categories that have been given to us for restarting. Places can open for private prayer and contemplation. Places can gather but without singing, without touching each other, without eating together. What if church is a family? Here at Trinity, we eat together, don't we? We sing together. We embrace each other. We're in and out of each other's homes. We use a building, but we are not the building. And we don't quite fit many of the way the regulations have been handed down. And we fall between two stools so often. Who does Paul look like here? Who does Paul look like as he just gets handed down the line from one official to the next? No, you take him. No, you take him. No, you sort him out. Paul is like the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? Both Paul and the Lord Jesus subjected to five different trials as they head towards their deaths. Each one of these trials displaying incompetence and cowardice and prejudice. And so, friends, here is something that we need to learn from Jesus and from Paul. When you live for Jesus and speak for Jesus and live out the gospel like Paul did and speak the gospel like Paul did, it will not always go well. We like the idea, don't we? I like the idea of being able to speak about Jesus so well we want our defense of Him to be so compelling that it leads people to know him and love him. But both the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul teach us something here today, friends. To some people, we are the aroma of life, and to other people, we are the stench of death. Isn't that what Paul says? Second Corinthians chapter two. Paul says, "Christians have a smell. A fragrance. Wherever you go, Christians waft something into the air, and some people love it. They're intrigued. They want to know more, and some people detest it. They cannot abide what they're smelling, what they're seeing, what they're hearing. So, two lessons for us today as we look at this passage. Two things I want us to see that come out of this passage. Here's the first one. I'm going to give us them both and then try and give us lots of applications from them. Here's the first one. Number one Be shrewd in knowing how and when to use your rights. Be shrewd in knowing how and when to use your rights. Chapter 22, verses 22 down to verse 30. Paul's Paul's behavior is interesting here, isn't it? Does it it look like cowardice to you? Remember what, what Paul said? I'm heading to Jerusalem and I will suffer. Why does he back out of the flogging now? Some people ask that question. They say this is just cowardice on Paul's part. He's all talk. Heading to Jerusalem. Remember, it it was his friends who said, Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. You're going to suffer. And he went at his insistence. No, I must suffer. And here he is, verse 25. Just as the whip is being stretched out, the whip is being cracked, clears his throat. Um, Can I just say something? Is it lawful? For you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen, and more than that, a man who hasn't even been granted due process and is uncondemned. What do you think, friends? Cowardice or strategy? Strategy. See, where does Paul want to get to? What did God say to him? You will take my gospel to the ends of the earth, which for Paul was Rome. Ah, you see, getting to Rome for Paul is everything. Getting to Rome in one piece, getting to Rome for a fair trial is everything. Cicero, a Roman statesman, said, It is a crime to put a Roman citizen in chains. It is an enormity to flog one. And it is sheer murder to slay a Roman citizen. See what Paul is up to? Where might a fair trial take place? Where might he get due process to be listened to calmly without mobs baying for his blood? See what he's doing? Friends, here is a master missionary, a skillful evangelist. He knows what it will take to get the gospel to where he wants it to be. Friends, be shrewd. In knowing how and when to use your rights. Number two. Number two. Be shrewd in keeping the main issue the main issue. Be shrewd in keeping the main issue the main issue. Look what happens next in chapter 23. Paul gets in an argument himself. And then he starts an argument between two other groups. So look at how he gets himself in an argument, first of all. He calls the high priest a whitewashed wall. It's a way of saying to somebody, you hypocrite. You look all great on the outside, all white and clean, but behind the facade is death and disease. See, Paul is up against people using the law to try and condemn him, but then doing things contrary to the law, like striking him on the mouth. Verse four is interesting. those who stood by said, "Would you revile the high priest? Paul said, "I didn't know he was the high priest. Has Paul made a mistake? Here is he being sincere in his apology? Some people think that maybe he's got poor eyesight. He didn't I couldn't actually see who it was he was speaking to. It's also possible that in verse five, Paul is being sarcastic, isn't he? Still mocking the high priest. Oh, if only I'd known he was the high priest. I wouldn't have said that because the law says not to speak evil of the people God puts over his people. It's Paul's way of saying, wow, they let anyone be high priest these days. You're not really a ruler of this people. You might think you are. But the way you're treating me shows you're not. I don't know what the correct the answer there is whether Paul is mistaken, whether he's being, being sarcastic. What we can tell is that in verses 6 to 10, Paul knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Look what happens here. Paul knows he can win at least one side of this crowd by showing that he shares some of their beliefs. Pharisees believed in resurrection of the dead, but Sadducees didn't. And so he cries out, verse 6, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. He presses the Pharisees' button. And so look, some commentators say, look, Paul is here. All he's doing is using clever tactics to sow confusion. This is a bit of debating strategy for a bit of diversion. If I can get these two people in front of me to argue between themselves instead of with me, maybe I can just be left alone. Many commentators think that. Paul is just deflecting, buying himself some time. But of course the problem with that is it doesn't work very well as a tactic, does it? Look at verse 10. When the dissension that Paul has started became violent, the tribune was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. Hasn't worked if it's deflection, has it? No, here's what's happening. Paul sees in these two groups in front of him, he sees an opening, a chink of light in these people in front of him to allow him to bring this whole sorry mess right back to the main issue, which is why he's standing there in front of them. Look at verse 6 again. It is because of the hope and because of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. That is why I'm here, Paul says. Now that is not why the crowd have pulled him there. The crowd are all screaming, screaming about something else. Look back at chapter 21, verse 28. Chapter 21, verse 28. The crowd cry out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people. And against the law and against this place. So what Paul is doing is saying, no, I am on trial, not because of any of those things, but because of the resurrection of the dead. He's wanting everyone to realize precisely why he is there. He has nothing against his own Jewish people. He has nothing against the law. He has nothing against the temple. They are wrong to be trying to lynch him for that. Paul is standing there before them because he believes God has sent his king, Jesus, and raised their Messiah from the dead. That is the main issue for Paul. The good news of a man risen from the dead as death's conqueror. Now we need to see that this is the main issue for Paul. I want you just to look back at chapter 4 verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. This is not deflection on Paul's part. All the way through the book of Acts, what is Paul saying? Acts chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came, up, came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming what? In Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Look at chapter 17, verse 31. Chapter 17, verse 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Just flick forward past our passage, chapter 24, verse 21. Chapter 24, verse 21. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Here's one last one, chapter 26, verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Friends, do you see what's happening? What is Paul's gospel? What is the good news that he's taking to the ends of the earth? What is his message? His message is that God raises the dead. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has proved that. He's done it. And here, in our passage this morning, he sees two sides in front of him. He knows what the source of disagreement is between them. He knows that that issue goes right to the heart of his mission. God raises the dead. And in Jesus, he's proved that. So friends, look how shrewd Paul is at just keeping bringing things back to his gospel, back to Jesus, back to his life, death and resurrection. Friends, here is a wonderful, simple lesson for us to learn. Be shrewd in keeping the main issue the main issue. Be shrewd in keeping the main issue the main issue. Just like Paul here, people today with you and me will will want to argue with us as Christians all the time, won't they, about so many hot-button issues. Mostly it's sex, isn't it? Why are you Christian people homophobic? Why are you transphobic? But take your pick from from any number of topics. In no time at all you can find yourself drowning, can't you? In the middle of a, a sea of heated rhetoric and passionate arguments. All sorts of vitriol coming your way, just like Paul had here. And I think Paul is showing us here, and really he's showing it to us because Jesus said it to us first. Paul is saying to us, be shrewd. Be shrewd. We don't often think like that, do we, when it comes to sharing our faith? We think be loving, be gentle, be winsome, be truthful. Yes, all of those things. And Jesus said, Luke chapter 16, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light when you're dealing with one thing right in front of you, Christ's people learn to think about what is the thing off to the side that no one is looking at, but which actually you know is more important because it's the main issue. The main issue of Jesus, his resurrection, his life, his death, his lordship, his universal reign over every man and woman, that gets shunted off to the side while we discuss all manner of things that fill our gaze and horizon. What is the main issue with coronavirus? It's control, isn't it? No one's talking about that explicitly. Control. Can you control a virus? Well, sort of, of course. If if you catch it early enough, you can. And clearly, we haven't. The world hasn't caught it early enough. COVID raises the question that is off to the side that nobody is looking at. Are you and I really in control of our lives? Fear. Isn't that one of the main issues, off to the side that no one's talking about? Who do we fear? What do we fear? But so too, friends. Here is another thing. Off to the side, even though it's kind of in front of us all the time, off to the side that nobody is talking about. Death. Our world is doing what it is doing right now with this virus because we do not know what to do with death how to face it squarely as creatures who are not made to live forever. And a giant wrecking ball has swept across our globe reminding us in the starkest possible terms that we are creatures, not the Creator. We are not made to live forever. And in the process, it has reminded us that life is precious beyond words. Can we keep The main issue, the main issue. Are we shrewd enough? Now, if you're like me, I guess you're thinking, as I sat looking at this and putting this together, if you're like me, you're thinking, look, I'd love to be able to do that. But look, Paul is a master missionary. You're a minister. How do I do that every day? How do I speak to my friends like this? Friends, I don't think there's any person in this room, any single person here, who, who doesn't often find ourselves wrong-footed and lost for words when a family member is angry with us or a friend is asking us difficult questions. I, I have put my foot in it more than I've ever seen people have a lightbulb moment as I'm speaking to them. It's very important to remember the big picture here. Look, look what happens to Paul. Paul is shrewd, but verse 10, it does not lead to revival, does it? He keeps the main issue, the main issue. Verse 10, when the dissension became violent, the tribune was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. Some of us think evangelism is like everything else in the world that we've tended to master. We we can do our jobs well. We can fix broken limbs. We can repair damaged engines. So why can't we lead people to Jesus? Do you remember what Paul showed us last week? What his speech to these people showed them last week? Conversion is a supernatural work. When God gives the light of the gospel to shine into blind eyes and to turn hard hearts soft, our role is faithfulness. And sometimes, sometimes when you have done everything right, everything right, spoken well for Jesus, lived well for Jesus, people will hate it. They'll just hate you for it. So that's one thing to remember, the big picture. But here's another thing to remember. Friends, whatever the topic, whatever the heat, whatever the argument you're finding yourself in, try and bring it back to Jesus risen from the dead. I believe in someone who came back to life from death. The reason this is the main issue for Paul is because the entire Entire Christian faith depends on Jesus raised from death. Isn't that right? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, if Christ has not been raised, friends, let's shut this whole thing down. Lock up this building. Throw away the key. If the resurrection is not true, find something else to do on Sunday mornings. Bring everything back to the resurrection. Sometimes, friends, we have to widen the lens when people are speaking to us. You, you, you Christians and homosexuality, why are you so against it? Why are you homophobic? The, the Christian answer to that question, one specific issue, does not make sense, does it, unless we widen the lens without first explaining that there's a God who made the world and who made us and a God who therefore cares who we sleep with. We believe what we believe about sex because of what Jesus teaches us, a single man who never had sex and yet who was the most complete and perfect human being who's ever lived. Can I tell you a bit about him? Are you scared of dying of coronavirus? I I get that. I don't want to die either. But have you ever thought about life after death? Whether that might be possible? How could we know if it's possible? Friends, the simple thing is this. Keeping Jesus the main issue. Keeping Jesus the main issue. His life, his death, his death. His resurrection. Don't deal in spiritual language in the abstract. Don't speak about God generally. Speak about Jesus and speak about him personally. Someone you know. Someone you trust. Someone you love. Someone you speak to each day. Email me with any questions about this sort of thing if you want. Email any of our elders at any time. How do I do this sort of conversation, this tricky family member, person at work? And if you want to watch somebody do this sort of thing really well, really well, can I just recommend to you that you look up, look it up on Google or, or even better on YouTube, look up an organization called Speak Life. Speak Life, it's an evangelist, run by an evangelist called Glenn Scrivener. Uh, many of you have seen some of his work. What Glenn does is he takes everything that's current, everything from abortion to George Floyd, to lockdown, whatever is in the news, you name it. He takes the presenting issue and he uses the presenting issue to keep the main issue, the main issue, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Watch some of his videos, watch some of his conversations, watch how he does it, watch his tone, his warmth, his, his interest in people, his manner his grasp of how the life and death of Jesus is the most important news the world has ever heard. Watch how he connects it to everything. But let me come back to the first point as I finish. Be shrewd in keeping the main issue the main issue. I want to finish with this. Be shrewd in knowing when and how to stand on your rights. Be shrewd in knowing when to use your rights Some of you here today will know that there are at least two churches known to me in the United States, at least two. There's probably more churches that are like ours in many ways, who have taken their respective state governors to court in these past weeks over the restrictions that have been imposed on them because of the coronavirus crisis. Churches like ours that have had their freedoms restricted. And yet they took their government leaders to court. And here's why they did it. They realized that in their particular context, specific to them, the law was being used to limit the freedom of Christians while allowing other things to go ahead unrestricted. Unfair restrictions. Persecuting restrictions. Christians must gather wearing masks but the state governor attends a wedding not wearing a mask, and so on. And rather than get angry, and rather than write letters, or send emails, or protest in the streets, these believers actually filed lawsuits. And at least one of those churches has just had the judgment handed down by the courts in the church's favor, ruling in their interests. It's not about being bad citizens, but being good citizens. We simply ask to be treated the same as everybody else. Treated fairly, rightly. These believers were not against obeying the law about restrictions. They weren't uh, insisting on gathering as normal. Treat us the same as everybody else. Now, I don't think we're in the same boat yet in Scotland with COVID. But here's the thing. What are those churches trying to do? They are trying to strategically defend their rights to be able to share the gospel. Trying to strategically keep the door open to their ministry. At least in Washington, one of those churches, they realized that to concede here in one small area, if we lose ground here, there will be grave consequences down the line for our freedoms. And in a word, I think, they were shrewd. They were shrewd. Some of you have seen me mention this uh, booklet before. It's a booklet called Speak Up the Law and Your Gospel Freedoms. It's a wonderful resource for uh, wherever you find yourself, in different kinds of workplaces, uh, educational settings, Uh, in all sorts of contexts today. This is a wonderful resource that's being produced to help us understand exactly what your rights are in your workplace, in the environment in in which you operate. If you'd like a copy of this, please ask me. I can easily, easily get one to you. Maybe you need that at work to know your rights and to have the shrewdness to know. Here's the key, friends. To have the shrewdness to know when to surrender your rights for the gospel and when to stand on your rights for the gospel. See, Christian people need to do both. Sometimes we let it slide, we let it go. Sometimes we say, no, you may not go further than this. Brothers and sisters in front of us this morning, don't we see a beautiful picture emerging? Here is a man who will do whatever it takes to get the gospel out. Whatever it takes. W- would you pray for us, please, as elders in our church family? One day, I suspect, these moments will come. One day. We, we make use of our rights at the minute all the time to help the gospel. We, we claim gift aid. We're a charity. We use our charity status. We, we enjoy the privileges of it. One day we might have to fight for them or surrender them. Pray for us, please, as we as elders pray for you. Month by month in our elders' meetings, we work our way through the church family praying for people and context by name. Here's a new thing for us to pray for each other, friends. Lord, make us shrewd. Make us shrewd. So may it be for you and for me. And for us together. Amen.